Good afternoon and welcome to this session of 1 to 54 Forum. My name is Karen Greenberg and I've organized the program which is dedicated to BC Silver. If you're only joining us now for the first time, I want to take a moment to direct your attention to the programs which are available at the back of the room. Please do uh, pick one up. We'd be delighted to see more of you over the coming days. There is also a small booklet of uh, dedications to BC, and I'm sure in the course of this particular conversation, we'll be hearing a great deal about the extraordinary legacy that she left behind in Nigeria and the resonance of that legacy, not just in Africa, but indeed across the world. She had a huge amount of uh, influence on so many of our lives, and um, I'm really delighted to have Ehiani um, here from CCA Lagos, who has uh, the great responsibility of being the curator and acting um, artistic director for the CCA Lagos that BC set up a bit over a decade ago. So um, thank you for coming all the way. Um, Ehiani will be in conversation with B. Gassman D'Souza, who is an independent researcher and founder of um, the Agency Gallery in London. And B. has um, been thinking and working within Nigerian archives for some years now. In September 2017, she collaborated with myself on organizing a conference called Positioning Nigerian Modernism at Tate, and since then has become very much more involved and invested in this topic, and is now um, working on her PhD on Nigerian art and epistemology at UCL with Tamar Garb, who we will hear from more tomorrow when she talks about Asiko. I don't want to take too much of your time because I know that you both have a huge amount to share. I just want to reflect a little bit on the panel discussion that pr immediately preceded this, which was looking at artistic um, practices and the importance of research for artists. And one of the things that struck me in that conversation was Mary Evans and Godfrey Donker, two really important artists, saying that for them, research is critical in process, um, but it's not the outcome. Um, their artwork is the outcome. And uh, the research materials are accumulated in plastic boxes on shelves and gather dust and, and uh, aren't really available to researchers, other artists, etc., to use. They're very much private archives. And this is the one thing that I think um, Bian Ehiani will talk about is the importance of private archives, be they artists' archives or indeed the archives left behind by curators or art historians or other researchers in terms of locating oneself in a particular context and, and, and having the mechanisms to de delve in deep into those contexts. So um, I really look forward to hearing what you both have to say about how one builds archives in Africa, how one maintains them, how one makes them accessible, um, and also how one addresses both what's in the archive and what's missing from the archive, because I think those omissions are as important to acknowledge as indeed the materials that people think valuable to save. So without further ado, thank you so much to both of you for being here, and uh, we look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank um, you very much. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start by framing some of the issues around archives, and then we and Ihani are going to talk about things that we've already been conversing about. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, I want to start with the fact that um, I find it remarkable that BC Silver um, put African practitioners and audiences first and resonated out internationally, which I think is a very, very interesting approach. Um, and that she facilitated the creation of a detailed record of local cultural knowledge with long-term and short-term research projects, and that these were situating the local in the global flows. The local, as regards global art histories, has long been neglected in favour of universally applicable methodologies and their critique, which often limit the outcome of research. Um, I'm taking the position in my own practice that any cultural history must include the consideration of local archives in some form, whether they are institutional or not. Um, African archives in particular have been undervalued. Um, you can see here... Um, an image of handwriting from the Benin Wongu archive, uh, which I've been researching uh, on in, in particular. Um, often uh, you get excuses that the formats are inaccessible and complex, and uh, you get uh, demands for upfront valida uh, validations and legibility that have prevented many researchers and curators from the international field from tapping into the very resources 
which open up African art history um, as an African epistemology, uh, which also has a place in the global context. My experience of researching multiple archival sources of early 20th century Nigerian artists, such as Benenwomu, Ainao Nabolu, Jonathan Adeburo Green, Clara Ubudagagnu, has led entirely to entirely new ways of considering the formation of an African art history. The resources needed in order to consider the formative years of Nigerian international styles can be found across the disciplines in regional linguistics, philosophical discourses, major literature, and some European resources, as they are perceived on the African continent, rather than as a balancing tool um, uh, for, uh, to flatten pluralist viewpoints. I want to open with a quote by Basi Weyanda, um, the famous archaeologist and founder of the first Nigerian African Studies Department at the University of Ibadan, who said that the study of Africa's past should, if practiced correctly, allow a reconstruction of Africa's usable cult cultural knowledge systems and resources. Tapping into existing archives and making new archives, which is something I'm going to discuss with Ihani in a minute, including online resources, is an important task for practitioners who acknowledge the local and the global. The majority of Nigerian archives are family or privately run for a reason. They act as a firewall against changing government policies and other unstable contextual factors. The disadvantage is that they are often only known of in their immediate locality. The problematic affects many Western, but also some African in practitioners, and it can constitute a hindrance to the effectiveness of decolonizing institutions. To BC, this was always apparent. When she and I met each other in London in the early 90s, she was exploring the curatorial ins and outs of Western institutions as she was volunteering at the Camden Arts Center. She called out the lack of African voices in Western institutions, which she was then discussing with Ukuri Embrizor before he curated the Johannesburg Biennale. Um, this was in 1997. She proceeded to make a logical and at the same time radical choice to establish a place for her curatorial practice in her home and major historical um, hub of Lagos in West Africa and to radiate out. Sorry, I have this there. I know as an independent practitioner myself that she made a huge investment in the future. This is a photograph from a show I curated on her invitation at the CCA Lagos, a moment when she's speaking very, very lively, as she always did, introducing the show. <laughs> Um, and I want to credit her, as I did also in personal conversations with her, about this huge investment she made in the future with her personal time, the countless unpaid and underpaid hours, her own funds, bridging the moments in between funding, and the steady passion for the arts of the Caf African continent, and the immense generosity of sharing her knowledge with a vast network of people in multiple continents. She overcame huge constraints as a one-woman independent operator, and in creating an infrastructure, which to her credit, was not only uniquely tailor-made to suit an African setting, independent, partly mobile and nomadic, but it was also highly suited to a global distribution via multiple networks. Um, her decision of locating herself in Lagos changed the goalposts in Nigeria and contributed to a shift in global curating practices, which European institutions are maybe only just beginning to perceive or digest. This step was not unprecedented in Lagos. We've discussed this before. It was the enterprising female artist Afi Ekong who launched the first independent gallery and artist archive in the 60s. Um, I just want to talk to Inhanyu shortly about a conversation you've been having about um, this with uh, BC because you have researched the Afi Ekong archive yes. yourself. And, um, you mentioned this lovely conversation. Yes, actually, um, in late 2017, we, we were um, having research on women modernists in Nigeria, and we encountered Afia Kong's archive. And we're think, we were discussing, um, BC and I were discussing Afia Kong, and she made an interesting comment. That looking at her practice and all the archive we found, that Afia Kong could, could be said to be the first female curator in Nigeria and the first female administrator in Nigeria. 
having run the first government gallery, Gallery Labak, before establishing the Bronze Gallery in Calabar. And also, it, be, it, it was interesting for us to note that um, from documents we found in her archive, that she was the official um, dealer for antiquities in Nigeria at the moment, as we found documents that showed that um, the Nigerian embassies in, in Europe would re recommend her to um, institutions here in Europe as the point person to get authentic antiquities for their museums. So it was very interesting to see that it actually started from a woman. Yeah, and I think what is very nice is that you both actually knew and acknowledged this. Um, mm -hmm. So you are also seeing yourself embedded in that history, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people haven't been aware of um, before. Um, and I'm sort of um, quipping here, saying that, um, you know, whilst she wasn't an artist, I think uh, BC as a curator and cultural mediator was then also a Nigerian pioneer. Um, she preceded the currently burgeoning Lagosian gallery scene um, and became one of the archetypal women on aeroplanes, which was the title of a project that only ended recently um, and which traveled internationally. Um, it was a collaboration, and I think that's a very interesting aspect in terms of collating material and then sharing it internationally. We'll talk about this a little bit more a little bit later on. Um, it was a collaboration between Eva Leverhaus and Eva Gallery in Germany, the showroom and the Otterus Group here in London, the Museum of Modern Art in Warsaw, and the CCA. And this project in particular was one where um, BC and Ihanyu worked together um, on, on that aspect. Um, we'll go a little bit more into Ihanyu's research on uh, other women artists from Nigeria that were relevant for that particular archive. Um, and also yesterday, I believe, there was a very good conversation about this particular project. Um, looking back, how researching the past constructs the path for the, uh, path for the future. In 2015, when BC curated Telling Time, the 10th edition of the Bamako Biennale, she referred to a saying by the Malian griot Mamado Kuyate. And I'm saying this on purpose because often these paths of considering knowledge are undervalued or just disappear in the kind of art historical representations that we see. People forget that these references are really important. Um, she chose this quote, he teaches kings the history so they might use precedent to guide their choices as the future springs from the past. I take this as a context to reflect on the action of looking back as a practice, while Ihanyi, um, who is currently continuing the work at the CCA, will share with us how he's looking to move forward, um, in part in uh, ways that you've discussed with BC before. Um, the continuity and entwinement of past and future was a guiding feature of BC Silva's curatorial practice, and I call that an archival approach. Um, and whilst archives can often be used in critical post-colonial practices um, where historical materials often also deconstructed, I'm quite interested in the aspect that BC was constructing archives, making new ones. Um, and uh, I would like to look at this, but also look at the structure in which she was housing this. Um, um, I have a, a, sh a small image here, which I find quite interesting because archives in Africa often function very differently, i.e. they have a mixture of oral and textual and photographic material. And one way of answering to the problematic of accessing those kind of archives is uh, um, a, an increasing amount of online resources in Nigeria that are called memory projects. I mean, you use it as well. Yeah. Um, Upuru is one of the major sources where um, a lot of information and history is collated in a way from oral narratives and, uh, and CDB is, is another one that is in, situated in Lagos. Um, and they're very, very important ways of uh, finding new materials, which is something that you're also very heavily involved in. Um, and I wanted to also mention the importance of having um, a structure, which in the case of um, BC, is a not-for-profit infrastructure that makes these archival resources internationally visible in a way that does not neglect the, neglect the importance for a Nigerian and Pan-African context. Um, 
more importantly, the step of making her organization non-profit creates shared concerns and collaborative outcomes and enables it to radiate outwards as a live practice. Um, and uh, what's interesting to me is that the CCA is um, situated in the university quarter of Yaba, uh, which for me is a consciously chosen site uh, situated apart from the gallery hubs that are commercial. Um, maybe you want to describe a little bit um, well, CCA, not actually the, um, in the university quarters, but very close to the mm -hmm. two um, institutions in, the, in Lagos, the University of Lagos and the Yaba College of Technology. And like you said, it's not in the, um, the rich neighborhoods where you have the galleries. It's actually in the part of Lagos where artists live. Um, Lagos is divided by a lagoon, so you have the island and the mainland, and CCA is on the mainland. And I think, like you said, um, it, it was a strategic decision to make CCA um, a space for artists and not necessarily um, the commercial um, space as you will get in galleries. Yeah, and in that vein, what is interesting is that, I mean, like I'm, I'm estimating here, the gallery space and the library space are roughly the same size. Yep. Um, and I think that's a very, very important choice. Um, and I find it really amazing that um, equal space is um, kind of allocated to exhibition and then also research and inquiry, um, which is, is enormously important for artist practices and also makes it a really lively hub. As you said, it's an area where artists live and can come and can use computers and internet and uh, access new books. And also sometimes you do discussion programs. Yep. Is that right? Do you want to sort of um, flesh that out a little bit? We're going to talk about it later okay. on, but, but yes, um, at the center is the, BC will say, um, the center of CCA is the library. And the idea is to have a space for artists to come, research, study, um, have conversations, um, and do whatever they want, a comfortable space for artists, if you will say, yes. Um, what I then also find really interesting is uh, I want to point out the fact that BC also, in a way, helped to collate archives. Um, the book project on um, J.D. Ojekere um, was a very, very important uh, project that made the work aware again. Um, it was not the first book that was uh, collated on his work, but probably the most extensive. It was also accompanied by an exhibition. Um, and what I find interesting, and that's something that's relevant to you as well, is um, it was uh, uh, realized through Kickstarter funds, yeah. um, which is a very contemporary way of going about creating archives. Um, it was <coughs> done in a way based on conversations that she had uh, with Ojekere, who had been complaining about the lack of support that he'd received in Nigeria for his own practice. And this, I think, is very pertinent because his own practice um, is an archive in itself. And um, I've got the works that are in the Tate collection, um, which are an archive of historical Yoruba hairstyles, Irundidi, uh, Shuku, Koroba, Kiko, um, which um, are an act of representing important events and major architecture as intricate hair sculptures. And BC knew and respected this and gave it a platform uh, which acknowledges value both for the Yoruba culture and in the international field. And to me, this new way of just opening up archives, reflecting on them within Nigeria, in dialogue amongst uh, BC as a curator and with Ojegre and uh, his notion of archive is a very, very important one against this very, very intimate dialogue between artists and curators that creates a kind of archival practice um, and also adds new books to libraries, yeah, which sure. is fantastic. So the library kind of creates its own publications. Um, she also worked with archival material to highlight unknown aspects of El Nanatsui's practice in Playing with Chance in 2014 at the CCA. And at that time, El Nanatsui was already independently famous and he decided to collaborate with her on the visual reflection of his artistic processes. And in a personal conversation, uh, BC expressed to me how immensely proud she felt and how immensely empowered she felt about this conversation with Anna Natsui about unknown materials, about kind of process photographs. And it was something that mattered a lot to her. Um, and uh, I've 
would take that kind of um, network patronage, which really helped um, the CCA enormously, the kind of networks that Elana Tsui brought to it and the dialogue that um, occurred. Um, and I think it's been very helpful for the work of the CCA in the longer term. Um, and I'm just mentioning at uh, the end, before I lead over to direct questions to Ihanyi, um, a sequel which we, you will dis be discussing tomorrow, um, together with Eddie Chambers and uh, Iraq's Media Collective, um, which is the educational um, project, which is very, very important, nomadic, and um, as an art historical practice and art crit criticism, kind of ties into a century-long tradition of Nigerian art history, uh, which I think is important to remember. These things don't come out of thin air, but um, BC found uh, a, a contemporary format that would work in a global world rather than um, kind of just sort of staying within the local. And I think that's a very interesting approach and more of that tomorrow. So in the meantime, now you are um, carrying on with the work at the CCA. And um, your background is in um, gallery and museum studies. Uh, you studied in Leeds, um, but you live and work in Lagos yeah. now. <coughs> um, and um, maybe you want to talk about um, your work with to do with archives a little bit in the beginning, because you have been researching Ucho Keke, Afie Kong, Colette Omobai, so you're like an archive whiz in a way. <laughs> Um, and what I find interesting, it's something that I've encountered as well, is you're dealing with the way archives exist in Africa at the moment because there isn't a practice necessarily in Nigeria that's institutionalized, same as we have um, here in the West. Um, but it makes it all the more exciting. So please tell us about the material you're finding. And uh, you well, know, Actually, yeah, um, when I met BC, when she approached me in 2017, um, while I was still in school in Leeds, to join her at CCA when I finished. Um, what she said was she, that she, was, she wanted to have, make a shift in her focus in, at CCA, that she wanted to begin to upload resources to the global discourse as against downloading that we do. Um, she meant, her publications, you've just mentioned mm -hmm. um, the book on J.D. or Jakeri, and then the book she did on Asiko. And she wanted to do more of that. And at the moment, she was interested in um, some women or female modernists in Nigeria, including Afiekon, Koleto Mogbai, um, Kara Ubogadangu, and Princess Elizabeth Olowu. And that for me was very interesting because I had, I was just finishing my dissertation at Leeds and my before that, I had done a master's in art history in the University of Nigeria and Suka. And I found it quite interesting that um, finally, there's a platform, there's a space for me to put in um, all the things we've learned in museum practice in Leeds and um, handling archive being one of them. Because before then, um, I'd had an exhibition I co-curated in Soka that involved archives, but I've not really, I didn't really think of, about archives as um, something that one could question, explore, um, make exhibitions out of, until 2014, um, when BC had the exhibition um, on Elanatsui, Playing mm -hmm. with Chance. In fact, the way she described it was um, that Playing with Chance is, the cheapest exhibition of the most expensive artist in Africa. <laughs> and the way she presented the exhibition was very fascinating for me as it, it gave an opportunity to look at the artist's practice for over um, 30 years. To look at um, Ellen Natsui's work, not just what you see in museums and galleries, but the work that goes into his practice, the invoices, the letters, the space slips and all the work that um, the artist puts into production and bringing that into an exhibition space. So while she was talking to me um, here in London, I was thinking about that and I quickly agreed without hesitation and I joined her in 2017. This was um, the picture on the left. I think that was 
roughly a month after I had joined CCA. And what we're, she took this photo, actually. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at um, was uh, an archive of Afie Kong brought by uh, Bons Etion, a young man by the left, who is currently in charge of keeping um, Afie Kong's estate, art estate. Mm -hmm. I should uh, maybe just uh, interject here. What is very important is that yeah. these archives are all often kept in the family family's hands. And yeah. in a way, you need to sort of learn to get to know the family and respect them in order to get the access. So that's very nice you're saying that um, he brought it. So. Yeah. So um, this this was a chance. Um, that he just walked into CCA with this box, um, this old box full of papers and materials and wanted to know what we could do with it. And I was shocked at what, what was inside. Um, the letters, I think one of the files we're looking at, the letters Afia Kong wrote to the Prime Minister of Nigeria at that time, complaining about um, the state of arts and also um, formally protesting the merging of Ministry of Culture and Information. And for me, that was a deal breaker in the sense that I never realized that an artist could have that power to write a letter to the prime minister and get a response. So I immediately told BC, OK, I'm going to go to Calabar. Since um, there is more from where this came from, <laughs> we're going to um, really do this. And actually went to Calabar to do a research. But that's, that's um, beside um, your, your question. Since then, we've been dealing with several um, archives. The research on Afiekong actually took me around um, both institutional archives, the, the, the national archives in Ibadan, Western Nigeria, um, private archives of artists, collectors, and what have you. And it's very interesting, like you said, how um, archives are treat treated. You see archives in different um, States, some very well kept, mm -hmm. um, even gathered jealously, some in a very sorry state. But the most interesting thing is that at each encounter, each archive you encounter, and each archive you 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 explore mm -hmm. and have do a very close reading, there's always something, some some new um, some new knowledge about history. Of Nigerian yeah, art. I mean, and that's very interesting. I mean, like we're going to go in, into this a little bit also in relation to Colette Omogbai, who you also researched. But um, you mentioned the fact that um, for you it was very interesting that Afie Kwan seemed to be uh, a very self-motivated woman. There was no, I mean, she was operating in the early 60s. Um, there was no man in sight that was supporting her venture, um, backing her any, in any way. And um, I think the remarkable thing you told me about the archive is that you found evidence that she just functioned on her own, um, commercially and in all other ways. So. Yes, um, I, I, like I mentioned before, um, Colette, um, Afie Kong actually was very phenomenal in the sense that she was not just an artist. She was an, an art administrator, a mediator, a dealer. And I was shocked to discover that she sold diamonds, officially, not in the black market. She sold um, diamonds in the open market. And like I mentioned earlier, she was the, the government point person. And um, some people now think of her practice as, um, OK, she was able to do all those things because she was married to um, an Igala prince. but. In all the documents I saw in her archive, there was no letter that where she ever mentioned her husband or where she ever mentioned that this person introduced me to you or that this person um, said to do this. Everything she did was on her own. And she built her estate by herself. She built her reputation as um, a dealer, as an art administrator by herself. And at some point, she was. Um, one of the leading voices and when the Society of Nigerian Artists was formed. And she was operating at the same level with um, Ben and Wong. Yes. And I think there was, uh, ben, made, ben and Wong made a, a, a bust of her at some mm -hmm. point, although they, they, they tended to disagree 
well, once of course, in a while. You know, yeah. <laughs> as most artists did. Um, actually, that brings me to an interesting problematic that you uncovered in relation to the Women in Aeroplanes project. Um, you were including your research of Colette Omagbai, and I would like you to tell me a little bit about that path, but also in relation to, we've both been discussing this in advance, we have this kind of question of, um, you know, that there might be a fine distinction between the post-colonial discourses on women and feminism in Nigeria that exists now and that is represented by major literary figures um, and a still relevant, in this case, historical Yoruba Nigerian view um, on the equality of women. Um, and you said that you've kind of felt that that conflict was possibly something that was rearing its head in your research and your findings of Colette Omokbai, which I have to introduce only had one known picture in the Western art world that was in Eva Lever House, and that was the only point of discussion. There was no other information. This and work here. Yes, this exactly, work here. this work, precisely. And Ihani blew me away when he started talking about all the things that he'd found on her, um, who, to, to that point, was fairly unknown, except for this painting, and a lot of men, including Uli Bayer, who had praised her for this one painting in this one exhibition. Yeah. So tell me a little bit now about that. Mentioned, now I remember the first time we met was when I presented my exactly, research. Exactly, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a very interesting story. Um, after I discussed the research with BC and um, she asked me to take the lead on the research, I found out that um, there was nothing outside this work and a few um, photos from Nigeria Magazine and um, Black Office in black and white. There was nothing on her. Um, and I was so excited, okay, I'm going to discover new things, only for me to go online and see that um, Chika Okeke Agolo had actually put out a call um, for people, anyone to come up with information on the whereabouts of Colette Mogbai, because um, we've not seen any obituary, so we know she was still alive. Then we began the hunt. Um, I traveled, made calls, visited um, archives, trying to find any trace to her. But to your question, the thing that I found very interesting was that Colette Umogbae, as of 1965, was what, what you would call um, a strong feminist um, activist. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's her in 1963, um, when she applied to Slade. But going back, um, when she wrote this essay, um, which you could call uh, a feminist manifesto now, was a response to criticism about her work um, that she showed in 1963. And after re reading this essay closely and finally getting to meet her, I was a bit um, surprised, if not shocked, that Colette Omogba in 1965, a very strong feminist who strongly believed in her work, would do a complete U-turn to disassociate herself from her practice um, for personal reasons and devote the rest of her life to um, art administration and taking care of her family. Which is very interesting when you look at the um, feminism in, in, in Nigeria and feminism in Africa. I was telling you before that feminism is not new in Africa, in, in particularly among Yorubas and the Igbos. We've had um, strong feminists like um, Fumilayo Ransom Kuti, who, who led the um, Abiyokuta women's protest in, in the 1940s, and of course women who um, led riots against the um, colonial taxation in Aba. And also, even going back before colonization, we had the culture of what is called sitting on a man, where women um, could use um, their powers over their husbands to drive home their points. So for me, it was very interesting how um, we could do, how Colette made a U-turn from being a strong Africanist, a strong, um, feminist to um, 
what she is now? What she is now, I can't even, I don't have the right words to describe it because it's her personal decision and I respect that a lot. Mm. So when we had this conversation earlier, I was very... Could you describe a little bit what, what Colette Omagbai today is, the one woman who has disassociated herself from the practice? What does she do today? She's retired, actually, mm. in the United States. And um, we made several attempts and we still continue to have conversations with her. Um, we're actually working out a book on her. But one interesting thing is that she specifically um, said that her practice, what she did then, is against her faith now. This is the Christian faith. Yes, yeah. um, that she is now a born-again Christian. And there should be a distinction between the Colette Mobile in 1965 and mm -hmm. the Colette Mobile present. So, um, which I found very interesting. So, yeah. we're still trying to figure out how best to put, put um, question the archive, bring forth the archive, and at the same time respect the wishes of the artist. Yeah, and I think that's going to be an interesting conflict to negotiate when you're producing the book. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, artistic practice is not part of her life now. Um, but that does not kind of dismiss the achievements she made as a young woman. So mm. it's going to be a very fine balancing act to do that respectfully and at the same time kind of, um, you know, do it in a way that's also useful for international debates, international curatorial debates. And um, hopefully also go beyond this one picture that uh, we have. Yeah, um, so, so um, just to, to, to um, explain a little bit of what we have on the screen. When the research started in 2018, January 2018, we started with archives from Sl uh, Slade School of Art where she did her masters. And we found quite um, a good number of uh, materials. Mm -hmm. this, this was her photo, like I said, when she applied to Slade. And then this was um, her actual application form written in her handwriting. Um, where she described where she was from. And it was from this application that I was able to trace her family house in Edo State to go ask questions about her whereabouts. So for me, it was very interesting to see that in Nigeria, it was difficult to trace her. But um, questioning or um, approaching Slade School, I was able to get leads to my research. She worked at the Ministry of um, Education before she retired, but I could not get even one um, information. They, mm -hmm. they didn't even know who she was, they didn't, but she retired as a director in the Ministry of Education. So this for me was very interesting how um, institutions value archive and value information. And this for me was a very eye-opener on the importance of keeping um, these resources. Yeah, amazing. Um, and currently, you are showing the work of the art historian Oziomo um, um, Onzoguke, which we have um, uh, had speak at the Nigerian Modernism Conference. Um, he's an art historian and specialist. Oh, this is Colette Omagbai now, is it? Yes. <laughs> this, was a, 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 this yeah. is a picture in 2017. Yeah. yeah. Please go ahead. Um, and... Uh, He's a very eminent art historian specializing in ceramics uh, and ceramics history, um, as well as an artist. And um, I would like you to maybe explain to me how your conversations now with artists and historians influences your work for the future uh, programming of CCA or your future ideas um, in relation to incorporating archives into your work. Okay, um, well, beyond um, the research and book projects that um, I mentioned earlier, this exhibition by um, ceramic artist and art historian Uzumon Zubike actually started um, with a conversation I had with him over some photographs that I found online um, on Ukuru, mm -hmm. like you mentioned before. Um, Ukuru is actually based in, the, 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 the person behind the website is actually based in London here. And we found these photos by uh, Jay Stoker from the British Museum, taken in Eastern Nigeria uh, in the early 20th century. And we're discussing how colonial archives 
were kept and how um, the importance of documenting um, the processes that we had and we were talking about yam. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see these photos because currently um, you can hardly find this practice of um, tying yams and, and um, storing yams in this way. And that led to the current exhibition at CCA, which is um, called Seed Yams of Our Land. But then beyond that, going forward at CCA, um, one of the things that I met, I wouldn't say it just started, it's, it has always been there since I joined CCA, is that every week I receive um, a box of catalogs um, or books from institutions around or from friends. And usually this is my table covered with books, um, old books, old catalogs, invitation cards from all over. And sometimes you get um, stuff like this. This was a, a box set by Smithsonian um, earlier this year to CCA. And then I've been thinking about what to do to keep this archive, to keep um, the library that actually started from someone's personal archive. Um, we forgot to mention. Okay. The CCA library actually started with BC's personal collection of books, um, which she acquired during her um, studies in the UK. And she expanded it to what um, you have here now. Currently, we have over 15,000 books. But going forward, I've been thinking, how do you keep even the archives that have been produced now? Like in the previous session, the artists mentioned that they are living archives and they are, they are also archives of the future. So every day we produce um, archival materials. How do you keep it? How, how do we make it available for people to do research now? So currently we are um, working on a new project to first digitize the CCA library, and also we're gathering materials from all galleries in Lagos, all art spaces in Lagos, on what they've produced um, over the last 50 years and what is being produced now. And this is what um, the library is gonna look like soon. So you should talk about the project you're trying to raise funds for this at the moment. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, well, where I think I think I'll, I'll go I'll go to that. Um, when we finish this library, this is the space. This is the original CCA space. It's just the interior that has been redesigned. We want to include a digital section because currently we have a very large collection of digital materials from video files, um, sound art that has been produced in CCA and outside CCA that kept in the, in the library. And at the moment, I don't think there's anywhere in Lagos where you can go and see um, sound files that have been shown in exhibitions or video files that have been shown in exhibitions. But um, we, we have all these files in Lagos. But how do we make it accessible to people? So we, we're currently um, working on making the space um, an archive, a physical archive, but also a digital archive that is accessible internally and also with partner institutions. Um, I've, I also mentioned to you earlier that private uh, archives like um, the Afia Kong archive mm -hmm. that I mentioned, the Ucho Keke archives that I mentioned before, and also um, Ulibaya's archive that was previously housed at Iwalewa House and is now being returned to CBIC, you know, Shobo. We're also in conversation with them to digitize this archive, CBICU archive has been, uh, Ulibaya's estate has been digitized. We're in conversation with them to house this archive in CCA. So you can come and assess as against going to Oshobo to see the physical archive. And also the Ucho Keke archives um, in Nemo is also okay. being um, digitized at the moment to have a copy at CCA. So this is going to be, um, the space when we're done. And we are currently, like you said, um, raising funds to finish this project and launch it by the end of next year. 
I think we have some photos um, of the reading area and um, the digital archive session where we'll have um, both virtual reality um, archive, um, sound archive, performance art. Because um, it's interesting to, to discover that we have art performances every time in Lagos mm -hmm. and all over Africa. But then at the end of the performance, um, only the artist maybe keeps a recording if, exactly. if he or she remembers to keep it. But then what happens if you have a one-stop shop, I'll call it, where you can go and see um, art performances that has happened in Africa over a period of time. Yeah. So this is what we're currently working on in the long term. Um, I think maybe this is a good moment to open up for questions from the audience. Um, there are any? It's been a rich amount of information, I think. <laughs> Um, and a wealth of new artists, I think, mentioned, because I think a lot of these historical figures have not been extensively discussed yet. So, yes. Um, this is a very self-indulgent question, so apologies in advance. But I was curious if you found any further works by Colette Omogbae. Um, I know lots of people have been looking, and there is actually, to the best of my knowledge, only that one image reproduced that's in the collection of Eva Leverhaus. And if you did find a work or several works by her, what would you hope to, to do with that information or indeed those artworks? Okay, um, that's very interesting. Yes, we did. She, has, she still has those works with her um, in her collection. Um, we're still negotiating with her to release it. And in terms of what we're going to do with it, two things. We originally planned to have a book on her. And what we want to do is to have a book accompanied by an, an exhibition as against an exhibition accompanied by a book. So we're going to have a book and then the presentation of the book. We'll have an exhibition of these works. And also um, an exhibition that shows the process, the research process of hunting around and all the all the photographs and um, interviews that came with the research in the form of an exhibition for the book. Yeah. So um, to add, beyond the works in her collection, we're also um, pursuing work, her works that have, they were sold in 1965 to 1970 when she was um, very active in Lagos. So it's an ongoing research and we have good leads. Thank you. So fascinating to hear that she was at the Slade. And I just, you said that you had accessed some of the archival materials at the Slade. Yeah. But I wonder if any of her student work is at the Slade, because they have repositories of student work and award winning work and yeah. life drawing, et cetera. Yeah, we've, we've actually asked, and um, unfortunately, they don't. They haven't got anything. No. Yeah, it's quite interesting because there are some early drawings by Benin Wamu in the Slade archive um, that also nobody has paid attention. Um, to yet. Um, but, so, uh, so perhaps it hasn't been discovered yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a possibility that, you know, it might just be a, a, a hunt, as you say, uh, inside the slate to maybe open up their archives a bit more, because I think often, you know, people have not been aware of the relevance of uh, past students. Um, and there's been a wealth of um, artists uh, from Nigeria, Nigeria that studied uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, even in the 40s in London institutions. So I think there, is a, there, is, there are hidden resources somewhere that are definitely worth uncovering. Yeah. So. Hi, um, I was just wondering what, when you sort of have people, when you sort of get access to these sort of private archives, family archives, is it that you return the materials back? Is it that you're making copies of everything or is it that you're arranging it in a certain way for them? And do people ever have any requests of you when you when they give you access to their archives? That's a very interesting, that, yeah. uh, very interesting question. Um, when I went to college, um, Afia Kong's archive in Kalala, um, something interesting happened. I was not allowed to take any photos 
or make copies of any document. I could just see it. Um, the reason being that the, the, um, the custodian of the archive is interested in um, publishing the materials and he wasn't happy having any other person um, with it. Although um, that has changed now, well, we're negotiating that now um, in terms of digitizing it and keeping a copy. But yes, in most cases, this research, this um, encounter with the archives was for a particular research. So I would take photos of what is interesting to my research and move on. But now, looking back, that we're working on this project with the CCA library, we're in conversation with these people to actually digitize the archives on site. And then, because we don't have the facility to keep the archives, um, all of it, the CCA space is just as much as you can see. Um, but to keep the, the digital files and have them keep the, um, the raw material, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I would like to add to that. I mean, I think it varies from archive to archive. Um, I was met with the uh, immense generosity of the Ben and Momu Foundation. Um, I was able to see the material. I was able to take photographs of it for my personal use. But then at the same time, I think there was a silent understanding that, you know, you would treat this material with utmost respect to the family and at all times keep this contact. So for me, the experience was that I retained a permanent link with the family as long as I work with this archive with the material that I was able to access, which was kept in the private family home. So it was it's precious um, also for sentimental reasons, not just because it's important material. Um, you, you sort of, um, you have to honor this agreement without ever signing anything. Um, so that's very, very important. And um, you can't just, um, I don't know, write or publish whatever you want about it. I, I tend to always ask the family whether they're okay with uh, you know, what I have to say about the material, where it's appearing. And like in uh, Afi Ekon's case, there is also an interest of privately publishing the materials that are there and whether or not the family gets round to it, uh, how they will go about it, whether it's going to be a major public thing, whether I'd be able to facilitate some of that or whether I'm not involved is something that is part of a very slow and ongoing dialogue. Um, so I think that's very important. I think so we also both experienced the uh, Ijoma Okeke, yeah. um, who is part of the Uche Okeke family archive. Um, and and again, currently you the have director this, of the Asana yes, Institute. Yeah. Exactly. But, so. but surprisingly, uh, or not surprisingly, because um, the, the father's archive has always been open, um, the family is quite open to researchers. In fact, um, when I visited there um, two months ago or three months ago, there was a PhD student who was living with the family on site doing research at the archives. Mm -hmm. And um, the few hours I spent with them, I didn't have any restriction. I got access to all the rooms, his bedroom, everything, all the papers, um, private letters, everything, all the photographs that um, he kept. And you could take copies as, as, as much as you like, um, so far you, you acknowledge and um, mm. get permission before you use them. So I think it varies with um, um, families and institutions that have them. I would like to add one last thing before we take the question. I think there is a problem um, that we haven't addressed, uh, which is the fact that there isn't that much space that is safe for the actual archive to be preserved. Um, the digitization is a very, very interesting method. It's also something that's been discussed in the museum uh, context. But, you know, often the archives we see, they are falling apart in the heat. Um, they mm. may not be there anymore. So when you can't photograph things and you see it with your bare eyes, it's a real shame. Yeah, you've got some evidence of that. Um, you really wonder when you see those kind of very, very precious uh, pieces of paper that are about to fall apart, uh, whether there's going to be a next time that anybody will be able to see them. So in a way, time is of the essence in order to make things happen. And I'm very, very glad to hear that the CCA is doing something about it. So um, yeah, good questions. Hi. Um, first, I think that just sounds amazing what you're doing. But it's just such a voracious, ambitious scale trying to digitize and put all these words together that they can be accessed. So I think that's amazing. But secondly, I was quite interested when you were talking about or you noted the um, 
recording or archiving of oral histories. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that, that say different methods or the way in which that has been done um, within the context that you're talking about, because something quite interested in from working with um, different say indigenous communities in Peru in different places, like the recording of oral histories, um, translation around that, because if they are to be, you know, recorded, digitized, made access, how things are then translated so they so they remain authentic to the voice of the people that are that are talked about. That yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk or expand a little bit more about the intimacies of okay that kind um, of archiving. Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting, and that reminds me of something I forgot to mention. Currently, there is um, an ongoing project by um, Cambridge and um, the University of London. So as on the archive of um, an, a colonial um, ethnographer, not called Thomas. And two weeks ago, we opened an exhibition in Lagos that I helped organize of an artist, Kelani Abbas, whose work is showing at SMO, at the fair currently, um, engaging with this ethnographer's archive. And to answer you, this guy, recorded sounds from 1930s in um, these wax um, sound recorders. I don't know how the, the technical term for it. And as poor as it is, it, it was very interesting for me to hear sounds of music, sounds of people um, from the 1920s um, and as far back as that. But now, what I was referring to um, is performances, art performances, um, sound installations, interviews of artists in exhibitions, things that just come and pass and um, we tend to overlook. But then, if you visit exhibitions and make an effort to record informal conversations between artists and curators and between visitors of exhibitions and archive them for people to look at. You'll be surprised um, 20 years down the line, looking at that artist practice, looking at that exhibition in, in the context of the archive you've kept and what the artist has become or the current practice of the artist. It could be, it, it, I believe it, it, it's, it's something that um, you'll find fascinating. So what we're doing is gathering um, video files from exhibitions that have happened in the past, and now um, recording fresh ones from the exhibitions that are happening now and that are, ha that are going to happen yeah, going forward. Um, we don't have time for any more questions. Well, one more question, if there is uh, one. Hiya. Um, hiya. Um, so you both spoke about the lack of space. And um, for me, I'm a Nigerian myself, and I do go back, and I find that there's maybe one gallery that's bearable to actually go and enjoy, and the rest of them are quite in a distress uh, manner. And I wondered if that was something that you guys would actually look into, actually having more more, um, more galleries rather than pop-ups or exhibitions and things that were more permanent, because you both spoke about the lack of space. And in essence, if artists were to start to give you a work, would you actually be able to then exhibit it, but not just for a month or a week, more permanent? And um, I think it's, it's something that I find a lot when I do go back to Nigeria. Like I said, there is a handful of galleries that you can go and you can enjoy them all year round. And the other shows I would like to see are only for a week, but even if they were to give you that work, where there isn't almost like a facility for us to actually have something permanent and it, it seems like people don't really care. Well, um, sorry. <laughs> I, I, th I think just to start with, yeah. um, I think that you have to respect the fact that the infrastructure in Nigeria is different at the moment and that maybe something will be built. And I think it's a tall order to expect a CCA to be fulfilling those kind of roles. And then secondly, as you can even see here, there are more and more spaces opening that have the kind of facilities that are respectful of the needs that you're expressing. And now I think, uh, yeah, um, Ihan, you should continue. First, um, CCA does not have a collection. 
we only have a collection of books and archives. You know, we don't have any, and we don't intend to keep any art collection um, because we don't have the facilities to store them. But um, like, you, like she said, there are uh, institutions now that are coming up. We have um, museums that are being built now. Um, the Yemisi Shilon Museum of Art will open um, later this month. And the first exhibition is going to be there for two years. Um, I'm curating the first two exhibitions. And there are similar um, private and, and um, publicly funded projects that are being um, built. So I think uh, people do care. We've, we've, we've um, started to uh, appreciate and recognize the fact that we need to have spaces for um, art to be actually seen and researched as against um, being exhibited for sale. And also, space is expensive in Lagos. I'm not mm -hmm. a, a developer, oh, yes. but um, <laughs> a, a square meter in Lagos is money. And um, if you're funding, or if you're actually paying rent to keep a space, you have to think about that. And art storage is not um, cheap as well. Absolutely. I think on that note, we can conclude. <laughs> can we take? And there's one more question, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think it's a question, it's more of a comment, and I'd just like to congratulate you. I think you're doing an amazing job. Um, it's been a really rough year, and um, the way you are charging forward is so admirable. So, Yanni, I just want to encourage you, commend you, and um, really um, applaud you I'm so impressed by what I've heard. Unfortunately, I had a little bit of jet lag. <laughs> so I found myself nodding off. But um, I'm so impressed by what you and your team are doing. Um, I think I have maybe two questions. One would be, yeah, support. What support do you need? Like, I mean, there are a lot of people in this room that are linked to institutions and grants. If you had a wish list, what would it be? Um, and then secondly, you know, how are you integrating your work within the institutional and academic framework of Nigeria? There are a lot of young minds that have to be trained in archiving, um, and CCA has always been a training ground. So how are you reaching out? How are you getting support also within the country? Um, but well done, I'm really proud of you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> because of time, I'll jump to the first question. I'm, I'm tempted to answer the last question first, but um, I don't want to lose the opportunity of talking about funding. <laughs> <laughs> um, currently, uh, we're discussing the options of a charity auction here in London. Um, and I'm approaching artists, and I've got quite um, reasonable responses from them to donate works for an auction here in London later next year. And I'm also um, open to discussions with institutions on who are interested in um, archiving and keeping archives in Lagos, and um, not only about CC and programming, but um, the value of um, what CCA stands for and the value of the resources we have at CCA. And I mean, like I mentioned before, we have the largest collection of books on contemporary African art on the continent. And um, it's, it's, it's um, 12 years of hard work to gather these materials and to keep them, and to keep getting these materials. So um, we're open to discussions on, um, on partnerships in that regard. In terms of institutional, um, framework of, uh, of our project at CCA, or this project um, and our programming at CCA. This is um, a very um, difficult question for me to answer because in 2016, when, when I was leaving um, Nigeria to study in the UK, one of the things that pushed me was I visited the National War Museum in Omaha for a research project, and I was shocked at um, my encounter with the staff of the museum and their knowledge and attitude towards the archive and the objects there, particularly the archive. 
um, I had to research on the archives and it's an insult on the word archive, um, the way the materials are kept. So currently I'm in discussion with people from um, Yaba College of Technology who have, um, which has a library and information science department to have um, industrial training students, which is um, an internship for um, universities and institution, institutions of technology to intern at CCA and as much as I can, um, take them through the process of handling archival materials. And also um, last week, I had a com uh, an interesting meeting with the, the chief um, librarian of the National Museum, who is actually very um, engaged and serious on um, the matters of archive, on how um, the National Museum and CCA can work together in sharing resources in terms of archive, because they also have a huge amount of um, resources that they're not engaging with. So, yes, it's, it's in the pipeline. Just wanted to thank you so much for giving us a real insight into the work that's being done in, at CCA. I think I can probably speak for most people in this room. It's really inspirational and a huge relief to know that such an important institution on the continent is in such good hands. And also that there are so many people here and probably around the world that you can call on um, to engage with, to send packages of books, um, but just to support you in any way that we can. And um, so sincere congratulations, as Sandy was saying. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Lee.